You are listening to Contesting Wrestling, the podcast where I'm like, the fuck is up with wrestling? And then two of my oldest and closest friends are like, you don't need to be that hostile. And I'm like, no, I do need to be hostile. I, it, get, it's, it gets people in, it draws people in, and I have a lot of feelings about wrestling. And they're like, well, we do too, because we love it. And that's the central tension inherent in this whole thing. I'm Dr. Ben Abelson. I'm a professor of philosophy at Mercy College, and um, I am hostilely uh, reacting to Evan's hostility. My name is Doc Diamond Fire. I've been involved in professional wrestling for over 10 years. Uh, I do ring announcing commentary, wrestling, a little bit of everything. I try not to hold any hostility. I just have uh, answers and a lot of feelings myself. So uh, let's get started this week, huh? Yeah, and I think this week um, perhaps you will be slightly less hostile, I, Evan. I am, I am actually. The thing that I'm hostile about is that I'm worried I'm either getting Stockholm syndrome or we are chipping away at the central theme of this podcast. Because you know what, I liked I liked today's match. I I good good. I, I I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. So this is uh, Evan's first taste of legitimate puro resu, uh, Japanese professional wrestling. The match is Shinsuke Nakamura defending his international wrestling Grand Prix intercontinental championship. You can just say IWGP, Ben. That, well, right. th they do. I'll do it after this one time. I'll do. Yeah, right. Anyway, so it's Shinsuke Nakamura defending his intercontinental championship against Kota Ibushi at the New Japan Pro Wrestling, that's NJPW, Wrestle Kingdom 9 from January 2015 in the Great Tokyo Dome. Uh, Tokyo Dome is a huge venue, I want to say, right up front. It's been a while since I've seen this match, and I know I knew this just because I follow the business, but, man, the, the, the latest Tokyo Dome show from this January was a much more full building, and you can see it. Not, I, not that this match you, wasn't well attended, but, like, they're on the upswing heavy. I was, I, I was there for this year's one yeah. uh, in January, and it is the largest enclosed space I've ever been in. <laughs> um, I was going to ask, how popular... How popular is this in Japan? Like how? Well, they're not running the Tokyo Dome every week, but um, it's getting more popular now. It's been, I mean, Japanese professional wrestling has been a thing for decades that ebbs and flows just like in America. But New Japan Pro Wrestling in particular have been on a tear the last several years. Like every year for the last six or seven years even, uh, their business has gone up after a big slump in the mid-2000s. Yeah, they were big in the 90s. Then uh, they dropped they were clearly the number one wrestling promotion in japan and making a lot of money in the 90s then their dominance uh was challenged by some other organizations for a while in the 2000s and in general uh business wasn't as good for japanese pro wrestling in recent years they've had a, a bit of a boom and they've been making inroads into the united states wrestling market they actually just uh as of recording this podcast within the last couple of with Within a couple of days of recording this episode, they just uh, announced that they are opening a, a an American subsidiary. Yeah, they, they put out a map with different, like, I don't know how to describe it, different, like, bands that they're going to be touring up and down the coast and a little bit in middle America. They really want to have a heavy American presence. They had a partnership with another organization, with a, the American Independent Organization, they had a partnership with the American wrestling organization Ring of Honor, um, which was 
fruitful for a while, but Ring of Honor's business has gone down in recent years, and um, it is no longer to the benefit of New Japan to be working with them. So I, now I they're know. just doing it themselves. Is 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 their partnership still there? I don't. I think it might be over by now. Hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they wind up making a killing in the states because. Look, I know I'm not really a fan of wrestling. I maybe have different tastes in it than people who are longtime fans. But this match kind of just seemed like a better version of American wrestling. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. It I, was... I thought you'd like it. It, it was t- clearly, like, it just... It was subtle, the ways that it was better. Because um, it's not, like, radically different. It's not a... It's, you know, it's still... It's, professional wrestling to that point um our bad match that we're covering today which isn't i don't really think is a bad match necessarily but by comparison um is not nearly as good as the good match and also was just largely disappointing for the fans that were very excited for it um is also shinsuke nakamura but this time challenging aj styles for the wwe uh championship at wrestlemania 34 in 2018 so that was after nakamura had left new japan and gone to the wwe now whenever we broadcast this episode that week we should uh in the premium episode that we do we should watch the other nakamura aj styles match from the tokyo dome a few years beforehand you compare the two yeah from Wrestle kingdom 10 actually a year after the ibushi match yeah but so this um this wrestle kingdom wrestle kingdom 9 was the first one uh, that was broadcast on American pay-per-view with English announcing. So that was sort of the beginning of them trying to make their inroads into the American market. Uh, I will say I watched this match with the original Japanese commentary. We insisted on it. Yes. Yeah. I historically have, you know, I pretty much ignore the commentary. I don't really find it useful. I Sometimes I find it very insulting. Uh, and, you know, and also I feel like a lot of American commentary is sort of in the sports, the classic American sports style where it just doesn't feel very dynamic. Like they just don't, they have yeah, a, rel- a constant hum. They, they get, they pick one energy level. It's the energy level of a pitch man in a 30 second commercial. But after those 30 seconds, it, it's not effective anymore. Um, this watching it with the Japanese commentary and not understanding it, I found it to be so much more emotive, so much more. Uh, did such a fantastic job of capturing the action happening. And it's just because, I mean, God damn it, just they like know how to make their voices go up and down. <laughs> like they know how to, they know how to sound excited when they need, when they should be excited. And they know how to sound reserved when they need to be reserved. And I was like wondering, I'm like, Oh, maybe, maybe if I understood Japanese, I wouldn't feel that way. Maybe they're saying dumb shit. I don't know. But I, it really, it was so much better. It was the first time I've watched something with commentary and felt like the commentary added something. The American announcer, Jim Ross, I think we've mentioned before, uh, many people consider him the greatest announcer of all time. He could do that in his prime. He's actually one of the announcers on the English commentary. You can find uh, a video of this match on the internet. Uh, I think it's posted on Daily Motion uh, with the English commentary. And I, in preparation for this episode, I watched it with English commentary just to see if they mentioned any details, any context that would be helpful for this discussion. But yeah, we insisted that Evan watch it with the Japanese commentary because. I personally, with the exception of this time, 
always watch Japanese wrestling with Japanese commentary because it's yeah it is way better. It's a uh, um, they're more exciting. They're uh, they raise to an incredible pitch of intensity along with the wrestling, and that's part of also what makes the Japanese wrestling so good. And you know what? It honestly, I just thought of this, but um, I've never ever watched a Japanese soccer match because uh, I don't generally watch soccer or something. But I, you know, I do know from years of working jobs with people from countries that care about soccer that soccer commentary kind of tends to be like that like you know tends to tends to be a lot more intense and fast and well, yeah even the spanish soccer commentary is pretty intense yeah real sports commentary will ebb and flow like that the announcers will get really excited but only when really excited stuff is happening as opposed to a lot of american wrestling announcers who are that excited the whole time when the uh, the nakamura versus aj styles match they didn't touch each other and one of the commentators already said we're about to see a classic like let it be a classic it wasn't don't also don't tell me it's a classic that's like i you know it, American commentators are just constantly telling you what to think and how to feel about the match. Corey, Corey Graves, uh, one of the SmackDown announcers, really ruined this uh, great match between Rey Mysterio and Andrade Cien Almas on SmackDown uh, about a year or so ago because it, we all were excited to see it because we knew those two guys would have a great oh, yeah. match. They had a great match, but the entire match, he's telling us what a classic it is and how amazing it is. And yeah, that, that takes away from it. Yeah. So uh, w- one other thing I wanted to mention actually on the audio side of things is not only the announcers have this dynamic range, but you know, a lot of people say that the Japanese crowds are quiet, that they don't respond, which if you watch this match is obviously not true they're quiet at the beginning of the match they're paying attention (laughs) and there's stuff to hold their attention and like yeah they're letting they're letting it happen and develop and then like oh if something happens that it's exciting i will react at that time right the match begins and ibushi and nakamura square off like kickboxers and they're both there with their hand with their arms up in defensive position and one leg in front of them in defensive position and you see the smallest movements of their limbs and and you're supposed to think all right when is one going to throw a punch and they both throw a couple punches and dodge it and in order to see the nuance of that you got to be paying attention and what was incredible about that is we talk a lot about the idea that wrestlers should express their character through their physicality yeah and holy shit this opening like first off it's just the best um the especially good, nakamura's huh? entrances are the greatest entrances i've ever seen as jim ross does point out on commentary but it's obvious to anyone who knows the history of rock and pop music nakamura is very influenced by guys like freddie mercury and michael jackson he's got this cool flamboyant swagger to him amazing costume amazing music uh, both the japanese and uh, american themes are memorable and exciting um yeah his physicality is reminiscent of yeah it's sort of like a rock star thing he almost has a bit of like an iggy pop kind yeah. of that way and like the way that he's built i mean he's is a at first i was like is he even in shape i can't really tell and then <laughs> he, I mean, he clearly is he's in, he's in, he's a little trimmer in the wrestlemania yeah. match uh, but everyone's he, a little trimmer. I don't know if they all like started going vegan or something like that. I, I think it's just like he's around people who are dieting like that as opposed to it. I mean, Ibushi looked incredible. Well, and that's the thing, like, you know, yeah. in that in that little opening bit where they're sort of trading some blows and kind of circling each other. Nakamura really expresses this sort of like snake like unpredictable 
like I said, like he really reminded me of when I saw Iggy Pop. And then Ibushi has is completely different, has a completely different style, completely different character. As much as like he also he's a larger, he's a little bulkier. He looks stronger. He looks larger than Nakamura. He is a more commanding presence. Which is strange because Ibushi had actually just moved to the heavyweight division uh, recently. Uh, In 2013, he had an earlier match with Nakamura that was the Tokyo Sports um, newspaper voted it the match of the year. Um, But at this point, he had just committed to joining the heavyweights full time. The junior heavyweights are 220 pounds and below. So he had put on some extra muscle for it and to the point where he was actually bigger than Nakamura. Yeah, occasionally in Japan, like they're a lot more strict about these weight things, these weight limits in Japan. But if a junior heavyweight is really extraordinary, they will let them go to heavyweight if they haven't gained the weight. And sometimes they'll just they they won't even put on muscle. They'll just get a big gut and be like, I'm a heavyweight now. And everyone in Japan who was used to seeing sumo wrestling, I might add, they're like, "Okay, you're a heavyweight now. Cool. Ibushi, on the other hand, might be the most well-formed, like male athlete or any yeah, athlete I've ever from seen. Granite. Uh, uh, JBL often says of Randy Orton that if you built a sports entertainer from the ground up, you were able to like engineer them the way you wanted to. They'd look like Randy Orton. Well, for me, they'd look like and wrestle like Kota Ibushi. So, so then, yeah, when they actually start wrestling, my first thought was that. So American wrestlers hate each other, right? <laughs> right. American wrestlers express like hatred, anger, uh, a, de- a desire to, you know, s- yeah, that kind of thing. And these guys, you could really tell they just they did not respect each other. Yeah. Like that was it was so there was so much between the slapping between later on there was some amazing casual head stomping from Ibushi. <laughs> There's just like they it really drips that they're like, oh, I think fucking nothing of you. So the context for that is interesting, too, because Kota Ibushi came up in this uh, wrestling promotion in Japan, DDT, Dramatic Dream Team, that's largely known for its comedy. And Ibushi is one of the most creative, artistic wrestlers who explores these kinds of weird, absurdist types of matches he'd have matches in parks in uh, during in the middle of street fairs he in the woods in the woods he had a match he had several matches with this inflatable doll yoshihiko that we've mentioned a few times by now i think if if you watch the the package before the match and uh, you know i couldn't understand what nakamura was saying but he talks about that and they show clips of it and i believe nakamura is being like you think you're so great you had this match with a blow-up doll come on i'm really the best and i have the belt to prove it you actually hear at one point when they're showing those clips the announcer the only English word that I heard pop out was entertainment. <laughs> so they think of that as entertainment wrestling, which is funny because that's how Vince McMahon thinks about the WWE. Yes. Sports entertainment. So, yeah. So wrestling. That's that's like what my father did. So, so, yeah, as Doc pointed out, Nakamura is clearly ridiculing Ibushi for his past in comedy wrestling. And Ibushi is responding with disrespect in kind. He runs out and he attacks uh, Nakamura, challenges him to this match, hits him with a German suplex hold, which is sort of the most basic and sort of clear sign that you are a properly trained wrestler. So it has that connotation to it. You can both deliver and take properly a German suplex. And then he mocks many of Nakamura 
Thor's mannerisms, his yow yeah. uh, catchphrase, I guess if you can call it that, um, and the, the way he the way he holds his hands and stuff. And during the match, um, Ibushi does a bunch of Nakamura's moves too. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't even pick yeah, up on that. Th- that's the kind of thing that that comes with context. Although the match was still very good without context. Well, it's the thing. It's it seems like just in terms of little stylistic things, like it just it moved at a pace that I really appreciated. Wasn't yeah. too wasn't too fast paced. Like it, it, you know, it was able to breathe. Uh, when they did spots, they were executed really well. There was a good number of spots where it didn't get exhausting, but yeah. it was like. It was consistently interesting. I really like that there are more strikes. Yeah. And that the strikes kind of look like, you know, I mean, it's not they're like they're not punches. Yeah. Punches look fake because if you punch a guy 10 times in the face, he should be dead. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like that's <laughs> wrestling punches look so fake that even when you're buying into it, like when they do them, you're like, oh, you know, dude, you don't even have to do that. At Tw- the- 20 minutes into the match, Nakamura drills Ibushi with a punch and the crowd pops big because instead of these forearms and like martial arts strikes, you know, he like distracts the ref and then punches him in the face like a dirty fighter. And that's what makes a heel in Japan. Not, you know, you're some megalomaniacal um, evil. Well, I mean, there is evil. Evil is cool. But you just uh, he is he even a heel? <laughs> well, there's a guy popular. who's just named Evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, he's he's very good. He's been getting better. He comes out. Everything is evil. Ah, yes. Yeah, that's great. It's great. He's great. By the way, you know Nakamura is known for his knee strikes, particularly yeah. what was called in Japan uh, the Bombaye knee strike, which has been renamed the Kinshasa in WWE. Both references to uh, Muhammad Ali. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's one of the moves that um, Ibushi uses in, during the match as well to kind of mock um, Nakamura. Uh, I thought it was funny d- w- during the American commentary uh, doc, you like this. Yeah. JR um, says, you know, I remember when Mr. Wrestling 2 first used the million dollar <laughs> knee lift. Uh, the knee lift. And yeah. I thought, oh, there's definitely nothing else you could do with your knee in a wrestling match. <laughs> Uh, Nakamura proved that wrong. Uh, a lot of I think that's the, where the similarities between Nakamura and wrestling two end. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because it's not like when they are doing the strikes on each other, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't look like martial arts and it doesn't look like street fighting. It yeah. kind of looks like its own thing that I, yeah. I I found like I it was hard to really yeah. it's hard to describe it physically um but it just looked it just looked interesting. They looked like real strikes, but it also looked like they weren't necessarily hurting each other, you know, looked like it was a sustainable thing. I don't know. And it was just, we call that snug in wrestling. I like that. There's stiff, which is when you really pop a guy, you don't want to be stiff. Uh, there's snug where you're making contact. You feel it, but all your teeth are still there and you don't have to get any stitches, you know? And there is like a headlock spot, but he Nakamura works the headlock the whole time with intensity and pretty quickly transitions into like three different moves, a couple of pinning combinations and then another kind of headlock and it's constant activity. Whereas in the other match we're going to watch, there's definitely a part where AJ Styles just puts him in a headlock and keeps him there for a while. All of the, all of the reversals and stuff like, and Mm -hmm. this was, were really engaging. Uh, More of them happened in the air, but it wasn't, but what was it was what was really interesting was that it wasn't it did not read to me like a high flying match like it did not read to me 
as I've seen matches like, you know, Eddie Ray definitely was one where like they're like jumping around, flipping around more, even though this did have those aerial moves. And especially they did a bunch of amazing like holds where they sort of switched in the air. Ibushi especially is much more the high flying wrestler than Nakamura. But if it still felt like I don't know, it felt grounded. It felt it's hard to describe exactly what it was. It was a lot of little things a lot of little differences that all added up to something that I found to be so much more engaging. It, it looks more believable. And if you're, if you're trying to put it against like an MMA fight, you can find a million problems with it. But it looks, it just looks more believable. It looks less fake. It looks like it looks tighter in its own universe. They're not flipping just for the sake of flipping. Yeah. You know, Ibushi does a crazy dive because he needs to put his body on the line. You know, he's desperate to attack Nakamura, and that's the best way, the most effective yeah. way to do it in that moment. And this goes back to the respect thing you were talking about. The point of the match isn't that they're finally able to fight. The point of the match is Shinsuke Nakamura has a championship belt, and in order to humble him, Kota Ibushi would like to defeat him in wrestling to take that away from him. By the way, there was an especially innovative spot in that match. Um, it was the first time Ibushi had ever done it, and it's freaking insane. When he's standing on the top rope, and Nakamura is on the apron on the outside, and he puts his arms around him and picks him up and German suplexes him over his head into the ring while standing <laughs> on the top rope the whole time. Yeah, the body control is is incredible for stuff like that. The the ability to move so much weight from point A to point B on an uh, on an unbalanced surface, even if Nakamura is you know jumping or whatever, like the fact that he didn't just fall is amazing. By the way, Nakamura does have an MMA background. Mm. Uh, he, they, Jim Ross mentions in the English commentary that he was like three and one. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nakamura's a real tough guy. He, he act- really, he looks unhinged. Like the way that he fights, yeah. it really comes across that he's like, you know, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I no, guess he looks th- like an anime villain. Yeah. Like, and, and that's on purpose. It's interesting because early in his career, he was criticized for being too bland, and he actually had a match with Brock Lesnar. Rather wow. early yeah. on, wait, during like his uh, Nakamura's first uh, championship run years uh, years ago, Lesnar uh, was in Japan a little bit, and Lesnar pretty much squashed him. Like it was very <laughs> one sided. Nakamura didn't have anywhere near the the pull that he has they, now. I mean, we, we we have talked about and we'll talk about more the the racism inherent in the American scene in wrestling. You know, in Japan, they love bringing in the huge American white guy and treating him like Godzilla. And uh, and they do. And then somebody beats him and it's like, yay, we beat him. And there you go. And Lesnar was no different, except when it came time for Lesnar to lose. He just didn't go back to Japan. Uh, speaking of racism, I mean, we're, we're going to come back and talk about the good match. But yeah. uh, there was uh, the bad, the quote unquote bad match. Right. At least the ending was blew my mind with how fucking yeah. racist it was yeah. for a <laughs> match on, that man. happened in 2018. Uh, so I was actually thinking about this episode to some degree as an update on a previous episode that we did. So we did Joe versus Kobashi and and contrasted that with the kind of thing that was happening in WWE at the time with Japanese wrestlers, which was the Kenzo Suzuki versus Billy Gunn match, which was just like ridiculously racist and horrible and not in any way showcasing what's great about Japanese wrestling and certainly not Japanese culture. Um, But 
so yeah, this you know the 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 AJ Styles Nakamura match in some ways is a step up. In 15 years, they <laughs> yeah, they kind of came well, a little bit it's farther. It's not quite as egregious, but it's definitely still like it's a sour note. Well, it's, so uh, up until that up until that ending moment uh, where it seemed to feel really racist, the only I I had a very unusual experience of this match where I was watching it and. Uh, it occurred to me about halfway through, oh, wait, this match is actually pretty good. And I just don't care and am bored and am hating it. I wonder what that is. That's how I feel about most Seth Rollins matches. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's really the problem with WWE a lot these days is like everyone's technically pretty good. They just don't know how to really be engaging. That's why we keep saying like Roman Reigns doesn't suck. It's for they don't know how to emphasize his strengths and hide his weaknesses, which for a long time has been one of the main keys of having a good pro wrestling program, because not everybody can do anything. But if somebody can do a few things really well, you can compliment that. The reason that I found myself bored and not caring about this match and hating it. I mean, sure, they were maybe not using Nakamura quite as well. It felt like he wasn't as expressive. His, his, like, his entrance was pretty good, though. Yeah. Uh, with Nita Strauss. Oh, oh like, Nita Strauss. Yeah. It that was... No, like I said, he, yeah. the, these two entrances for Nakamura are the two best entrances I have ever, I have seen yet in and wrestling. And his WWE, WWE theme is and has been my ringtone for like several years now. It's great. When, it's when he turned heel, he kept the same uh, the same tune except they add an electric guitar and a guy rapping in Japanese. So the just great. So the crowd couldn't sing along to it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I think was bad about it was the goddamn commentary. Man, <laughs> like right? I it's so dry. It's so flat. It's three guys saying dumb things in a monotone voice and often they would like i if it seemed like the match was muted well and just to have the three of them talking and then it would like go back to them and they were just saying like inane shit and i realized here's my here's my lukewarm take for this episode on how to make <laughs> wrestling better yeah um is that you know i was like what well, looking at the difference between what was great about the Japanese commentary and what was terrible about the English commentary is the, the dynamics, the sound of it. I think wrestling should abandon the appearance of being a sport, drop the commentators and have live scoring like a silent film. doesn't necessarily have to be old timey music per se, but it like it in like an orchestra pit on one side of the ring, maybe. I mean, it even could, it could just be like a piano player and a violin, or it could be like a guitarist. I I don't know. I'm still working this out exactly they... how it would work, but I feel like something that's more expressive than just guys like saying what's happening. I don't yeah. know. Hey, uh, indie promotions, if you want your uh, style of wrestling to have a fresh artistic take. Maybe experiment with some live scoring. I mean, you're not making any money anyway. You might as well do it. It Try might work. Different. Improvising musicians will work for cheap. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of commentary. Not as cheap as, as uh, half the wrestlers you're hiring. No. <laughs> one day we're going to rise up. I wanted to mention uh, one other thing that JR says during the English commentary on the Nakamura Ibushi match. Uh, he takes like a nice dig at uh, WWE booking. Uh, he's mentioning the Intercontinental Championship. 
and how um, Nakamura had raised the profile of the IWGP Intercontinental Championship to the point where it rivaled their world championship in importance. Whereas its origin was a, an American mid-carder MVP won it in a tournament in Philadelphia. <laughs> and, and Nakamura had, had really raised its profile. And JR says, yeah, you know, why would you want to fight for a championship that isn't as respected as the other championships? Like, what does that even mean? And the way that the mid-card championships or the, the, the championships besides the top ones are booked in WWE is like, oh yeah, that guy's obviously going to lose to the world champion. It's not just that it's a different division. It's no, they're worse. So then what the fuck is the point? A lot of the times they'll give somebody one of the secondary titles and then they'll lose to a lot of people in non-title matches. And it doesn't make anybody look any better. Um, Also, I I think we maybe should, we should finish up with the the first, with the good match. Sure. Uh, just two more points on that. One, you're talking about music. Uh, in uh, the past, on a mini-sode, uh, we talked about the analogy between wrestling promotions and new metal bands, or let's just open it up to metal bands in general. So if WWE, or at least at one time, was Limp Bizkit, and NXT is Slipknot, <laughs> New Japan, at their best, is fucking Opeth. They're, you know, skilled, dynamic, interesting, but still being intense, still conveying emotion, being progressive without being cheesy, progressive, not in the political sense, but in the sense that progressive rock or progressive metal is progressive, progressive arts in general. Yeah. Um, But I mean, also more progressive in the political sense than American wrestling. Did New Japan uh, master a particular form of wrestling? Then changed styles dramatically, and it took them a couple years to figure out. But once it changed, it like they really once they figured it out, it was amazing. Kinda. Well, sort of. They kind of had to change to another style because trying to be uh, trying to be worked mixed martial arts didn't work at all, which is why they had a big slump in the mid two thousands. Also, they're like what they were known for in the nineties, at least their heavyweight style. Their junior heavyweight style was where you saw guys like. Eddie Guerrero and, and Rey Mysterio, but their heavyweights were kind of slow and plodding, actually, uh, and not nearly as good as, say, the All Japan Pro Wrestling heavyweights like Kenta Kobashi. Um, it was only in recent years where they started incorporating a little bit of uh, American style storylines and. Um, well, they, they invented and the Bullet Club. Inventing the Bullet Club and also, to some degree, merging the heavyweight and junior heavyweight styles so that you had more athleticism and stuff like that on the heavyweight level that you saw before. So, yeah, kind of. Now, the the Bullet Club was such a great idea. Like, you know how I said, uh, like, Nakamura was the heel because he was playing a little bit dirty to win, which is very different than American heels who were just jerks to everyone. Well, they decided to start a, a, a stable of guys who they weren't all American, but they most of them just weren't Japanese. And they were like, we'll just make them an American style heel group. They'll cheat to win all their matches and interfere. And it was absolutely dynamite. The crowds didn't know what to make of them. They hated them so much. They still exist. They've had like flows up and down. Now they're a big part. They were one of the things that captured the imagination of Americans when New Japan first started really appealing to Western audiences. And they were the genesis of 
of what is now AEW. Yeah. Because a bunch of wrestlers went to Japan, joined the Bullet Club, uh, were wrestling both in New Japan and Ring of Honor in the Bullet Club. And then a few of those wrestlers kind of came to the top of the Bullet Club and rebranded themselves as the Elite and then left New Japan and Ring of Honor and started their own promotion, All Elite Wrestling. Now, New Japan was, you know, it was a blow to them to lose so many really good wrestlers, but they have so many people coming up and they have a lot of great talent. Ring of Honor, on the other hand, it was most of the top of their card and they have not done a very good job of bringing, of making new stars. They were having that problem already. Yeah. And then they used New Japan as a crutch basically for years. And now that's gone. You think that being owned by a comedically villainous media conglomerate would be a boon in some capacity, but I guess it's not working out for them. Well, they haven't gone out of business. You know, they can lose money as long as because they they provide a TV program that they can broadcast, which is valuable, like just purely in the business sense. That's valuable even if you're losing money, because then it's product you can put forward to fill your TV time and then sell time to advertisers, et cetera, et cetera. So last thing about this match, um, the finishing sequence is super excited. You get the top rope Bombaye. Um, uh, Kota Ibushi pops up with fighting spirit, which is a sort of Japanese wrestling trope. The guy suddenly, you know, fires up with, with energy that he didn't have before. But then uh, they kick each other in the shins, which is <laughs> really brutal yeah. looking. Uh. And, and that really happens in kickboxing fights, you know, or any fight where you could kick two people, throw the same kick at the same time and they hurt each other. But Nakamura recovers, hits um, Ibushi uh, with his landslide um, slam, which is like a fireman's carry. The guy's on your shoulders and then you twist them around and then slam them on their back or the back of their neck. He does that to AJ Styles in the other match as well. But Ibushi just waits so long to tuck his head that it's a extra dangerous version. But by the way, speaking of Nakamura's um, rock influences, I wonder if landslide is a Stevie Nicks reference. That would be, I, I that would be pretty great. I could see that. I could totally see that. I, I could see him, you know, uh, dressing in long flowing robes and looking in the mirror and all that. And speaking of the disrespect that Evan mentioned at the end, they fist bump. Like, all right, I kind of respect you a little bit, but Nakamura's still a dick. He shoves him in the face. It's pretty great. <laughs> Nakamura's like, yeah, yeah, look, I'm the champion, and you didn't beat me. Just like I said, you weren't going to beat me. And Bye. he never has. And he never has. You know, and Ibushi's a, a genius, and Ibushi is headlining one of the Tokyo Dome shows this year with Kazuchika Okada, and good for him. But that's today, not, you know, not several years ago. And in Japanese wrestling, you find there's much more of a sense long-term of progress for guys that are really good. As opposed to a lot of the times in American wrestling, you'll see someone who's really good for years and they're just slotted. That wasn't the case until recently, though. Yeah. Japanese wrestling was notorious for never putting the new guys over the old legends. And it was only when they started doing that in New Japan that business started to pick up. Oh, yeah, Okada wouldn't be the star that he is if they didn't tell the years-long story of him trying to beat Tanahashi, and then he beat Tanahashi, <laughs> and uh, Evan doesn't know any of these people, but he will one day. So Nakamura leaves New Japan Pro Wrestling. He gets signed to the WWE. He comes to the WWE. He shows up in NXT. He has this dynamic new style that no one's really ever seen in America. This is the first time since Kenzo Suzuki in 2004 that they really tried with a Japanese wrestler. 
Almost. So they had signed uh, Hideo Itami, who was Kenta in Japan and is now Kenta again in Japan. Not Kenta Kobashi, a different guy. Kenta is a rather common name. Yeah, but trained by Kenta Kobashi. And his real name is actually Kenta Kobayashi. So it's a bit confusing. But anyway, injuries made it so that uh, Hideo Itami didn't really get as far as he should have. Every time the ball started rolling with him, and it did start rolling a few times. He had tear something else. Or, you know, he busted his orbital bone open and he needed face surgery. Like, he had a lot of bad luck in America. Then they brought in uh, Asuka, uh, a female wrestler who is amazing and one of my favorite wrestlers in the world. And she caught fire in NXT and was doing really well. And then, at, and then they brought in Nakamura. So Nakamura and Asuka were sort of simultaneously owning NXT. And everyone loved them. They sold tons of merchandise. Everyone was super into them. Then they came up to the main roster. For, for a while, it was going pretty good. They, At the Royal Rumble event, they had the first ever Women's Royal Rumble along with the Men's Royal Rumble. And Asuka and Nakamura won their respective Royal Rumbles. It was clearly the best time to be a Japanese wrestler in America in the history of American wrestling. Ever. And they yeah. weren't um, stereotypes. You know, yeah, they yeah. were somewhat well-rounded characters. To some degree, they were limited because their English was limited, but they just let them talk in their heavy accents. And I would probably rather they just let them speak in Japanese. On, yeah, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like They're doing that now with Nakamura. They paired him up with Sami Zayn to speak English for him. And they even went, and you know, WWE rarely does this, they went so far to explain it. They had one of the interview guys go up and be like, Shin, we know you can speak English. Why aren't you talking? And he just doesn't talk. And Sami Zayn is like, he's not going to lower himself to speak your language. It's like, all right. Okay. But I also, unfortunately, a few months even before the Royal Rumble, they put Nakamura in a match with John Cena. And he beat John Cena. And it was like, oh, wow, they're putting him over John Cena. But during the match, he kind of dropped Cena on his head at some point. And Cena was fine. But I think it scared the company and maybe Nakamura himself to the point where he took way fewer risks and was much lighter with his opponents after that match. And I think part of that plays into why this WrestleMania match wasn't as good as it could have been, is he was holding back a little bit. But anyway, so he and Asuka win their respective Royal Rumbles, both go to WrestleMania to have their title matches, and then both lose. And not only lose, but the end of this match, it really engages in... so. Historically, you've explained that well, Japanese characters in American wrestling were presented as sneaky, were presented as, you know, just all of the awful stereotypes that Americans have about Japanese people. They stabbed us in the back in Pearl Harbor, specifically. Yeah, like it's ba- like that well into the 80s, they were still working with the like Bugs Bunny cartoon version of yes. Japanese people. Uh, if for our younger listeners, if you don't know what that's a reference to, um, go on YouTube and uh, look at the kind of cartoons that we used to make um, in this country. So, yeah. So, Nakam- like, what what exactly does he do? He, like... He, so, um, they shake hands, and then Nakamura drops to one knee like he's bowing he to gets the belt. AJ. Oh, he gets the belt. He drops to one knee like he's bowing to AJ, which is already like, oh, yeah, the Japanese guy is bowing to him, but whatever. Uh, he hands him the belt, and then uh, when the – I mean, they really – they they get the timing of it right, where the crowd is like, oh, okay, respect, respect, respect. And then he just raises his arm into AJ Styles' nether regions. 
um, his balls. It's, it's it a looks low blow. It looks painful. It does yeah. look painful. And uh, and and gets this like delighted look on his face, um, like he just fucking came. You know, in his pants when he did it. And so they go on to wrestle several more times over the next several months, and the big move in all the matches is them just hitting each other in the balls. At one, when one of the matches they hit each other in the balls at the same time, and then they both fall over, grabbing their crotches like a Family Guy routine, just laying there. Ow! So this ow. this became a of, thing. Yeah, these are two of the greatest wrestlers in the world. Yeah, AJ Styles, in his own right, is, and I've never been a huge AJ fan, but he's 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 breathtaking. He knows exactly what you he's know, doing. He's a little. Too too southern good old boy yeah. for me, you know, but he's a great professional wrestler. I, I will say, truth bomb time, yeah. AJ Styles has beautiful eyes. <laughs> yes. Like, if you, they are like these piercing blue, they look like they're glowing. Like, it looks like his whole, like, inner, um, the inside of his eyelids are like glowing with a soft, calming blue light. And with the conviction that the earth is, in fact, a flat disc. No, wait, is he? No way. Uh, he meant he mentioned that like once and everyone jumped down his throat and he was like, come on, come on. He didn't deny it, though. He no, said he something like, it. well, you know, I have questions. Look, I'm just asking questions. OK, yeah. is it is it flat? Is it oblong? He's, is it? He's definitely a full on born again Christian. You know, he's like. I don't, one I don't of, even think he's born again. I think he's just been real Christian his whole life. He was, he was born, born all the yeah, way the first time. And you know, he made like he married. I think his high school sweetheart. They have like four kids. See the tattoos on his body with all the dates. Those are his kids' birthdays. And um, yeah, he's just he's very, uh, very traditional, uh, very traditional American Christian he, from Georgia. He looks like if Chris Gaines was a wrestler. Do you yeah, know? Who, yeah, do you know yeah. who that is? I know exactly who that is. But yeah, Nakamura and AJ, you know, they had this great Wrestle Kingdom match at Wrestle Kingdom 10. Not as good as the Ibushi match. He's really into Christian rap. His theme song is is uh, inspired from the Christian rap artists he really likes. Well, isn't it DMX? Um, no, it is not. Where did you get that? No, was I'm pretty sure it's DMX. It is definitely. Is DMX a Christian rapper now? No. That no, wouldn't surprise that is, me. That is not DMX. It's totally DMX. Sing, sing AJ, singing You Don't Want, they, they Don't Want None. They Don't Want None. That is not They DMX. Don't Want None. All right, where did I, hold on. The, the former WWE women's wrestler Victoria's theme was, okay. in fact, sung Phenomenal by Phenomenal Sunshine is AJ Styles plus DMX. That is his song. I'm, I'm going to have to look into this because I feel like we would have heard more. We have to oh, edit out all of this. Yeah, don't uh, yeah I'll, I'll have to mute that. It's fucking DMX, dude. He doesn't sound anything like DMX. I mean, when was the, the, the when you think of DMX, you are thinking of music that is 20 years old. A lot can happen to a voice box in 20 years. This is true. This is true. Right, what is... While there were reports that I guess I heard that the entrance theme features samples of Ain't No Sunshine by DMX. That is not the case. Ah. Some CO CFO money WWE themes are designed to somewhat sound like existing songs from known artists. Yes, so yes, it is course. meant to sound like DMX. All right. That's um, actually a, um, a, a way that you can get a job as a musician is yeah. making songs for TV and other things that sound almost like songs that are popular, so, but... Like, that is a huge, that is a way bigger industry than you would think. WCW did that all the time. There's, oh, like, yeah. a fake Smells Like Teen Spirit and a fake Even Flow. So and my stuff. favorite thing about that is that, like, they, they, 
went over for the fake smells like teen spirit, which is Diamond Dallas Page's theme song. They went over with the lawyer as close as they possibly could get to it without it actually being it. And when they re-released all of the stuff he was in on the WWE network, they had determined that it was too close and they recorded another smells like teen spirit ripoff that's further off for him to come out to for everything. And uh, I, I'm just amused at stuff like that. It, there was a song that was really popular kind of recently that was in, like, every movie trailer or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what it was called. It was that band, Portugal the Man, which is a terrible name for a band. Yeah. Um, and it's um, – you'd know it in a – oh, did you hear a song that you were like, wait, is this Mr. Postman? Um, but they fucked it up, and it was in every mo- – I don't know. It was so know. close to Mr. Postman that they needed to get lawyers involved to make sure it was okay, to which I want to be like, just fucking write another song, man. Like, I'm all for stealing because if you're a musician, you have to steal. That's, Especially that's how- in today's world where everything that's ever yeah. been conceived of is recorded. But there's a line of, like, what is acceptable and yeah. what is not. Um, or like, uh, like there's a line between like, you know, being strongly influenced by something and just like straight up stealing the hook from Mr. Postman. Uh, we're getting off track. Yeah. There were two really cool mo- moments in this match. I thought, well, at least two there, there, there are a few there's, uh, they do have kind of a cool strike exchange, somewhat reminiscent of the Ibushi Nakamura match where, um, uh, Nakamura does a roll and uh, AJ catches him with a knee strike really quick. Um, the finish is great. The reversal of the Kinshasa into the Styles Clash. Yeah, yeah. There are lots of great moments in the match, but it just does not have that intensity of the Ibushi match. There are long, slow stretches that where there where part of the problem is is those stretches are designed as we've talked about in in previous episodes to get the crowd behind the babyface but the crowd wasn't really behind Nakamura so it didn't really make sense to have those uh parts of the match i also it always blows my mind in wrestling when they have like the instant replay thing yeah. where you know like the um not the instant replay but you know when they're like oh usually when they're in a hold yeah. And they need to have a bit that's like, hey, remember five minutes ago when this match was interesting? <laughs> Let's revisit that while these guys are in a hold not doing anything. And that seems to me like a bad sign. Because I'm like, <laughs> I get why it happens in sports. Because they'll take, there, you know, there's a, there's a play and then there's a period of time where nobody's doing anything. And they're like, hey, you at home, let's watch, let's watch five minutes ago when stuff was happening. But in a wrestling match, shouldn't that not be happening? I mean, I could see a limited amount of instant replay, but it has to be real quick. And if the match is good enough, you wouldn't want to do it in the middle of the match unless something really spectacular happens. I mean, some of it, the ebb and flow of a wrestling match, if you do something really spectacular, you do want to follow it up with a certain amount, depending on the match, if nothing, to let the crowd in-house process what just happened. You don't want to hit the next move while the crowd is still cheering the previous move because it it takes the edge off the first one. Plus, every move takes a toll on your body. And if you're constantly putting your body through the toll of moves when you can do the same thing in half that time, not half that many moves, rather. Not to mention, you want to sell. You want to, like, it's like the, the move hurt. Right, and you're laying hurt. there for a while because it hurt <laughs> before you get to the next move. I hate it when, like, this is a, a criticism of 
a lot of AEW's matches, particularly involving the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers, who are great in their own way, but sometimes they just don't sell at all, even when it's like a DDT off a ladder. They just bounce up and get into the next spot. And it's like, that just looks like bullshit. That's, that's, that's why people in wrestling specifically have the phrase, it's not ballet. Because ballet is actually very similar to professional wrestling, and the physical toll that ballet takes on ballerinas is also very, especially, very heavy, especially on their feet and ankles. But in ballet, you're doing a series of choreographed moves for the sake of the beauty of the moves. In wrestling, you're doing a series of choreographed moves for the purpose of putting on a show that looks like a fight or a sport. It's a difference. You, you're not just showcasing your moves. Yeah, people don't realize also when you go see ballet, like, they are really hitting each other. Like, they are not yes. making any sort of an effort. When they're throwing each other around, no, they, they are very deliberately trying to hurt each other. They're not slapping their thigh or nothing. Like, ballet is hardcore. The ballerina has to catch herself and land because the guy who fucking threw her is trying to drop her on her head. Yeah, yeah, that people don't realize that. the lights with her. <laughs> That's why there's such an insane death count for uh Yeah, we for know a lot. We know a lot about ballet here. Yeah, For sure. Absolutely we are, yeah, we are authorities. I, I did take one ballet class when I was like five or six. Um, it didn't take. My, my, yeah, I, my parents took me to a lot of ballets, and I enjoyed them as a child. Yeah. Oh, they're great. Oh, my. Oh, and it's, you know, fucking watching people. I mean, you know, talk about watching people uh, who are in amazing physical shape do impossible seeming yeah. things. You know, that's that's what people have been watching uh, ballerinas do that for much longer. To the chagrin of my parents, probably bringing me to ballets in some way primed me for enjoying professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I yeah, took I mean, um, three no tap classes when I was a kid, and then after the third one, I uh, threw up everywhere and that was the end of my dance career so yeah. unlike what Corey graves says at the end of this match which is oh people wondered if this match would live up to the hype well it did 1000 uh. percent this match was a disappointment the people who had seen the nakamura aj styles match from wrestle kingdom expected that they expected that japanese style of super intense awesome match and even the people who hadn't seen it had heard that they had had this great match. This was the first ever match uh, to be on both Wrestle Kingdom and WrestleMania. Wow. So there was a lot behind it. It was the first time they were running with a Japanese wrestler really ever on that level. Um, and it was good, but it did n It wasn't the incredible show. Actually, Asuka's match at Mania against Charlotte for the Women's Championship was much better. That was probably the yeah. best match on WrestleMania that year. But neither of the Japanese wrestlers won. And then they were both demoted to the mid-card pretty soon after that. I mean, Nakamura had several more rounds with the champion. But, yeah, that was like they had told his story and they moved I mean, back. he's just he, he's such a fucking performer. Like, really how is. do you not use that right? right? He, he hasn't won the world title yet. Asuka did eventually for a little while. Yeah. And She's one of the women's tag it. team champions now. It's a division they're trying to build. And Nakamura is the intercontinental champion. Right. So they've been building him back up. He's been a heel this whole time since that nut shot. Yeah. Um, and just now, you know... Part of the thing is, I think, when he got to NXT, he worked really hard with Triple H on adapting his style for the WWE. And at first, that worked, because they, they put it into a certain framework, a kind of pattern for him to fit his moves into. 
And that worked for a while because it was still unique. We still hadn't seen anything like him before. But eventually, it just got kind of gimmicky and formulaic. And only now is he starting to learn how to work within the formula to produce a compelling WWE-style match. And he's had recent matches with people like Seth Rollins, and um, there was another one. I don't know. He... He wrestled Roman Reigns on SmackDown. Yeah, he's going to have a program with Daniel Bryan, which I'm really excited if for. If he can't have a good match with Daniel Bryan in the WWE, it's over. Because Daniel Bryan figured out the style because he's actually the greatest wrestler in the world and knows how to, you know, for all for all the crap we give Brock Lesnar, I really want you to see the Daniel Bryan-Brock Lesnar match. I, I'm, I'm yeah. in. I mean, yeah, that yeah. one Daniel Bryan match I saw, I really enjoyed Daniel Bryan. Um, <laughs> Daniel Bryan was actually pulling for a match with Nakamura when Nakamura was still in New Japan. Uh, he's yeah. like, dude, they got this guy over in New Japan. I really want to wrestle him. So it's finally going to happen now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the, 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 sad, the sad thing about the Nakamura thing is that I think in Vince McMahon's head, he failed as just the Japanese hero who's a great wrestler and is, is, and is an artist and is a rock star. And he's like, oh, well, we got to go back to the sneaky thing because... That's the only thing that that he can get over as, and that's really sad. That's terrible. Vince, fucking McMahon, right? What are you doing? All right. Well, this has been uh, a very illuminating episode. I gotta say, I, uh, I, you know, I expressed some concerns about. I don't know if it's Stockholm syndrome. I don't know if you're successfully getting me to enjoy wrestling, but uh, Mm -hmm. this is. This was cool. I look forward to doing more New Japan stuff. I like that this is on YouTube and that, I mean, I watched it through well, um, Daily Motion. Or Daily Motion, well, I, I mean. I watched it on New Japan World. Well, no, I also watched yes. it on New Japan World, but I just like the fact that this also is accessible yeah, to you, you our listeners. Yeah, you can find a lot of this stuff on the internet wherever, you know, you find your videos, yeah. I'm sure. New Japan hasn't had quite the reach yet to be able to scrub all pirated versions of the <laughs> matches off the internet the way the WWE has, at least in America. No, the way that WWE really has to constantly be beyond that kind of thing um but so if you enjoyed this you and you want to hear more episodes and you've made your way through the main feed you should check us out on patreon and give us some if you give us a dollar you can get a couple episodes in advance uh if you give us five bucks you get access to our backlog of premium episodes and, and, and more episodes in advance, I think. We will have a premium episode that is a compliment to this one where we will watch that Nakamura-AJ Styles match and then something else that's relevant. Yeah, sooner, soon enough for every Poro fans, we're going to show Evan uh, the, the four pillars. But we, I, wanted to, I wanted to show Evan something more modern first before we get into like the deep cuts of the 90s and the super long, intense matches with Kenta Kobashi and Mitsuharu Misawa and so on. Because they, they're great, but they are a bit, of, uh, they are a bit much. I'm excited to see what that yeah. version of a bit much is after. Well, I mean, you used to be like, hey, listen to this band. And it was 30 minutes of them playing one or two riffs. And like, it's great. But you need some context before you can really get into that kind yeah, of thing. Sleep is fucking awesome, man. Yeah. Now I just listen to bands that have 20 minute songs with f- 57 riffs in them. I mostly listen to video game soundtracks on YouTube. The, like, they're like the DJ Cutman lo-fi hip hop station. I'm a much calmer person than I used to be in some ways. I like Mark Lanigan and uh, occasionally Lana Del Rey. (laughs) And also fucking metal. 
Don't yeah. Don't get it wrong. I'm I'm Dysrhythmia. Tomorrow, uh, <laughs> we're recording this right now on um October 24th, and tomorrow, uh, the new album from Leprous drops, a band that has become progressively less metal as time <laughs> goes on, and I fucking love it. And, and Evan, we uh, hopefully I'll be able to get tickets in the morning, and we can see uh. Uh, Devin Townsend and uh, Haken, which Haken. is another band. You yes. Really uh, like, yeah. Right? I actually, I've been meaning to get into Devin Townsend for t- like 20 years and I never have, but I fucking love Haken. Uh, yeah, Devin Townsend has some crazy stuff. He's one of those guys that has amassed a very deep catalog yeah. by now. And if you can plumb it properly, it's very creative. Uh, eventually we'll just start a metal podcast to go along with this. Um, so this has been contesting wrestling. Support us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at contesting W um tell us what we got wrong tell us what we got right tell us what you want to see what you want to hear what you think i should watch if you think i'm a dumbass actually don't tell me that or not oh by the way uh, do you did you like this match more than eddie guerrero Rey mysterio or is that still your number one hmm i do i think i liked eddie ray more i do think i still liked eddie ray more than this so Um, the challenge is still open people Challenge is still open. Try to recommend a match that you think Evan will like more than Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio. You can also try to recommend a match that Evan will despise more than Doink, Dink, Wink, and Pink versus Jerry Lawler, Queasy, Sleazy, and Cheesy from Survivor Series 94. Every time you recite all the names, I die a little bit inside. It's Uh, really amazing. Those are all the names. Um, Veteran of the mat game, Cheesy. Yeah, we'll say uh, for frame of reference, I would say my favorite match thus far has been Eddie Ray. Uh, this match is easily the second, the number two, yeah. and then um, was probably kind of a big drop off. Sean Vince. Yeah, uh, then I guess Sean Vince, Sean Vince, or maybe Sean Angle, maybe. Actually, I kind of I think I think the screw job match has been my favorite uh, uh, Sean match Sean. so far. Um, but there's a lot. Yeah, everything. That's almost like a whole other category for me. The Sean Sean Michaels. <laughs> Cause that's you just, like Sean Michaels in yeah, a completely exactly. different yeah, that's, way. Yeah, that's, uh, he's he's um, fantastic. All righty. This has been Contesting Wrestling. Thank you so much. We love you. <laughs>